Uh, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Last week we began a series of sermons that will go through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this is number two sermon as we do that. It's good to see all of you here. Liz, it's really good to have you here. If you didn't see, one of our missionaries is here. So if you didn't see her yet, greet her on the way out. Uh, it's good to have you here this morning. All the rest of you also. If I was going to choose a church that I was going to minister in, I would not choose the church at Corinth. As I said last week, it was Sin City of the ancient days. There was every kind of immorality, unethical treatment, you name it. It was the center of commerce and a center of everything that is wrong with the world, all pushed into one city. Very wealthy, but very worldly, very sinful. If I was the Apostle Paul, I would have said, give me some place that's easier to minister to. By the way, when I signed up to be a pastor many years ago, I remember not signing up for a pastor. But after about three months of being a Christian, I heard a sermon at a missionary conference, and I said, you know what? I'm glad I'm a Christian. By that time, it had all settled in my mind. And when they said, are you willing to serve the Lord with everything you are? I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Now, I've got to tell you that lots of people have insinuated or even said to me that being a Christian is a boring life. I beg to differ. <laughs> what a roller coaster that has been. I never expected to be a pastor. And you know what? A few years ago, it's probably 10 years ago now, that the Lord showed me that He wanted me to use garden tractor pulling as an outreach ministry. And I signed on. I said, okay, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do that. If you would have told me what I'm signing on for, I'm not sure that I would have agreed to it. You see, this week I have two, ser uh, two sermons to do at two funerals. One of them's fairly easy. M many of you know Mike Snavely. His mom... A lady of 94 years old, been a Christian for a long, long time, has served the Lord wholeheartedly for years, first as a wife and then as a widow uh, for many, many years. She passed on into the presence of her Savior, and Mike called and said, could you do the service? And I'm like, I would be honored to. In fact, as the interesting thing is, I don't know her that well. Except that here's what I do know. I know she, she is Mike's mom, and I met with her and sat there and talked with her. And I, we were talking about me being on Mike's mission board. And she said, now I know why you're on that board. You're on that board to keep Mike straight. <laughs> That's what she told me. I will use that at the funeral. But I got a call yesterday. I hope I get through this. I got a call yesterday from one of my tractor pull buddies. His son, if you didn't get the email yet or look at the Facebook, his son, 22 years old, I know him since he's a kid, walked out of the house, dropped over, dead. No known health problems. I'll tell you what, I got off the phone. I, don't, I, I did my mom's funeral last year and didn't get emotional. I'm not that kind of guy to start with. But I walked out of the the den over at the house, and I walked over, I was still shaking. I couldn't talk when I told my wife what had happened because the call was there, and she said, I couldn't understand that guy, but I think you need to call him back. 
Well, no wonder I couldn't understand him because it was his dad. And when I came over from talking with him and he asked me to do the funeral, I couldn't talk. Literally half an hour later, I was still shaking. You see, I don't know where this young man is going to spend eternity. But here's what I do know. It's going to be, and I put it out there as a privilege to do that funeral. When I said I wanted to use garden tractor pulling as a ministry, I thought we'd give a, a nice gospel message at the driver's meeting. We'd do that. And maybe I'd get to pray with some of the guys, and I have done that. Maybe I'd get to counsel with them, and I've done that. But I didn't sign on that I would be doing funerals. Now, I'll tell you what, funerals are not exactly like Sunshine City. But here's what I know, and I'm asking you to pray. Because there are probably going to be a lot of people. In, in a few hours' time, I had 4,000 hits come back on Facebook of people, and it's spread all around. So lots of people know the family. I've known them for years. This could be a huge opportunity to glorify God, to bring comfort, to make clear the gospel. And if you think about it, I don't know when it is yet, I'll let everybody know when I know but I'd appreciate you praying. But you know what? I think if the Apostle Paul had email and Facebook and a congregation that he could talk to, he would say, I'm going to Corinth. Pray for me! <laughs> that place can take me to my edge. And I think when he was writing to Corinth, he would have said the same thing to his co-workers. You better pray for me because there, it's five years since I've been there. It's five years since the church started. And, and they got everything messed up to this day yet. Pray for me that I would be straightforward, that I would give everything in a clear way, and that they would accept it as from you. Ministry's messy. You've heard me say that many times. It's not going to change. The devil is alive and well. His demons are absolutely doing everything they can do to deceive people and to lie in every possible way, lead people astray. But here's what I know, that in the midst of whatever happens, and the only reason I can do a funeral or the only reason I can stand up here is because there is a confidence that comes to those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior that has nothing to do with Paul Malfair or you or anybody else except Jesus Christ. That's the sermon this morning, the first nine verses of the book of 1 Corinthians. We could talk about all kinds of things, but the one thing that comes out strong and clear is that we can minister and we can live and we can interact with people with confidence because of what Christ has done. I was going to ask if there's an amen. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, there is no other way. I've told people for years, they say, how do you stand up in front of people and do what you do? I don't know. All I know is my inhibitions are out in the parking lot someplace. <laughs> because this is not the me that you would have known in years past. The Apostle Paul is, I'm kind of a namesake in that direction. It's a family name as well as that. Simply means a little one. The Apostle Paul never ran around bragging. 
In fact is, he said, if I have a boast, my boast is in Jesus Christ and nothing else. There's nothing else to boast in. That's where he comes from. And he recognizes that, and we're in verse 1, he recognizes that it was Christ who called him an apostle. I am not an apostle. I am not a prophet. They are very specific things. We will actually talk about them before we're done with this book. I'm a pastor or teacher. An apostle or a prophet comes and they talk directly mostly from God. They don't need a Bible to use as their textbook. God speaks directly through them to people. That is not today. That is not me. But an apostle was sent was one that was sent with a very specific commission to do something. In the case of the Apostle Paul, like the Old Testament prophets, he was to speak to the people so they could move to the next step. In this case, it was to build the church by him being there and starting the church and at the same time being able to write to the church and give them instruction so they could become strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So they could have victory over sin. So they could move forward. Notice he says, it wasn't my will, it was God's will. He was willing to be obedient and be faithful, but it was God's will. And he took along with him another man, Siothenes. You go, I think I've heard that name before. Yes, you did. Because he was the one, if you remember, when Paul was beginning the church, he was the second leader of the synagogue in that city. You see, the first one was Crispus. Crispus was in charge of the synagogue when they threw Paul out. They just rebelled. They wanted him out. Paul went next door and started a Bible study or a church next door. And later on, we find in verse 8 of Acts chapter 18 that Crispus and his whole family came to Christ. And then it says, as the second part of that verse, it says, and many other Corinthians were believing on Jesus Christ. You see, Paul caused a ruckus wherever he went. Because he was trying to be a troublemaker? Absolutely not. Simply because he was willing to say the truth unvarnished. Wasn't making excuses. He just said, Christ is the answer. He's the one that gives life. He's the one that died for your sins. Nobody else has done it. And when you think about that, if he's done everything, what do I have to offer? I'll tell you what we have to offer. I trust him. I faithfully follow him. I faithfully be obedient to him. And then he is choosing to use us. I'll tell you what, you don't have to listen to my story. I'd rather listen to your story. Because if you are serious about Christ, you will have a story you go, wow, this is more than I ever thought would happen in my life. Because that's what kind of God we serve. He above and beyond everything we do. And here, now he has a sidekick. He was the second leader. He's the one that got beat up when they, brought, when they drug Paul before the Bema, the judgment seat. He's the one that got beat up. He was the one who was causing some of this ruckus because they had thrown Paul out of the synagogue. He becomes the leader. He most likely was part of the persecution. But here's what happens. When Paul is doing what God asked him to do in the center of God's will, 
the synagogue is getting emptied out, starting with the leaders down. And the Gentiles and these very wicked, sinful, unethical people that lived in the city, they were coming to Christ. I mean, there was a change in this city. And it started with one person. His name was Apostle Paul, but I propose to you that the circle you abide in can be changed by you also. See, we're not going to look back at some words on a page and say, hey, this is what happened in history. It's all true, but I'd rather see Acts chapter 29. You go, go look it up someday. No, look in a mirror. Then you'll find Acts chapter 29 if you're obedient to Christ. Because you're not going to find it in the Bible. Because Acts chapter 29 is where the Bible leaves off at the, the beginning of the church. And from then on, it's your story. It's our story. It's the church's story. And we need to continue on. And so it says there that he wrote this to the church. And the church is simply means those that are called out. But there are two things, there are two concepts that have to do with the called out ones, the church. The first one is what we would call local church. Do not confuse the two. It says here, and, and I'm just going to, you can follow right along. It says, he is addressing this to the church of God. And the way that's written in Greek is the possession of God. I understand that when you talk about somebody, uh, a church, and they go, oh, is that, the, is that Pastor Paul's church? I understand why they say that, because more people know my name than they know the name of Garden Chapel. So I understand that, as long as it's used that way. But you know what? I've done that for other people that aren't pastor. I'm like, oh, is that so-and-so's church? It simply means that's the church they attend. That's where they minister. That's where they work. That's the group of people they work with. Nothing wrong with that. But when you go further than that and say, oh, it's, it's Pastor Paul's church or it's somebody else's, you've got a problem because you are treading on thin ice because God says, no, no, the church is mine. It is my possession. I sent Christ to pay this for the price of the sin of those people. I'm the one that has organized the church. I'm the one that started it. I'm the one that's working in it. Are other people a part of it? Absolutely. The first part, if we look at it, it says, The church of God, which is at Corinth. Notice, that's specific. We would call that, it's not in the Bible anywhere, but we call that a local church. It's the churches of Galatia, the church of Ephesus, etc. There's lots of them all through the New Testament. But a local church is, and there's a couple key words here, organized group of believers from a specific geographical location, meeting together under biblical, and I put the word human, leadership. We have elders at our church. We have servants. Some people call them deacons at our, our church. We have teachers. We have human beings that meet as an organization. That's a local church. People that can within the driving distance, if you will. That's the local church. That's the one at Corinth. But that's a small slice of the pie. 
Because it goes on to say this. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Notice, Garden Chapel was not the whole church. One part of it. The church at Corinth, one part of the whole church. But it says all believers all over the place are a part of the church. Well, how can that be? They, they don't, they've never met with us. The point is, there's a universal church. The universal church is not an organization. There is no universal church organization. It is an organic body of Christ. Anyone that's trusted Christ as their Savior is a part of this body. It's not the name of the church they go to, and it's not what they call themselves. It has to do with a relationship because by faith they've trusted the finished work of Christ. That church never meets together. It doesn't have an office or a church building or any of those kinds of things. And they don't have human leaders. It doesn't have human leaders, I'm sorry. It has one leader and only one head. Jesus Christ Himself. Now I will tell you, that universal church is a blessing. Because guess what? We're going to get in a, a couple of sermons, we're going to see that the Corinthian church had divisions in it. If they believed that, they wouldn't do what they were doing. Because if anyone trusts Christ, they're a part of this. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. Bigger than our little congregation here. Something much, much bigger. The universal church has never taken an offering has never sent a missionary, doesn't have a work project. By the way, last week we had a project, a bunch of our teenagers and youth leaders were at Word of Life, the snow camp. Praise the Lord, they're all back in one piece, except for Melanie. She's in a few pieces. And should I point that out, Melanie? If you look at her eye, you'll know that she... What did you hit? Ice. Okay, yeah, and ice and her, her didn't work well together. And this week, you're going to find a bunch of guys that aren't here. You know where they are today. They're, this weekend, they were at Three Springs helping the, the camp there put up drywall in one of their rooms. And some of us are going to be going up there sometime in the future to use it and probably help again. You know what? No universal church has ever done those things. They don't worship together and have a praise team or, or a, a youth group or any of those things. You see... The Apostle Paul is making it clear. We are called out. And fact is, and I pointed this out last week, we are those, and the reason we can be confident as a part of the church and the church as a whole is because, you'll see it, it says, who have been sanctified. And if you remember from last week, that is, I'll give you the fancy Greek thing one more time. It's perfect tense. It means something has happened with complete and full and ongoing results. We were set apart in the past when you trusted Christ, and that never changes. Because of that, you can be confident. It's not, did you get it right today? Maybe you're saved. Oh, you blew it today. Oh, maybe you're not saved. No, 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 no. If you trust Christ... You have a relationship. It is just as real as if you have a child, 
I don't care what happens, that child is still your child and you are still that child's parents. That's how specific that is. We have been sanctified. And then it says, saints by calling. Literally, it should say, called saints. The point is this. Whenever we have confidence in Christ, it's not because of us. It's because what He has done. Because in both of those things, it is what God has done for us. Now, I understand. You had to trust Christ. There's no way of getting around that. But here's what happens. When you trust Christ, He sets us apart. There are five words in the Bible that all have the same root meaning. Consecrated, dedicated, saint, sanctified, and holy. They all simply mean anything that is set apart from something to something else. For example, if you consecrated or dedicated an offering or a sacrifice in the Old Testament, you took that lamb from the flock and you used it as a sacrifice. You took that sheaf of grain and you offered it, waved it before the Lord. You dedicated. You didn't go and slaughter the whole flock of sheep or offer the whole field. You took a part of it, dedicated that to the Lord. You took it from something for something else. That's who you are. If you've trusted Christ, you are set apart and you can count it. You can live by it. You can live in light of it. And you can be confident. Because guess what? It's the word holy. I've been set apart. I've been set apart for God. If you believe that, it changes the way you see things. On my own, I guarantee you I'm not confident. Oh yeah, you stand up there and you go, yeah, we know you. You don't know me. Because I have nothing to add except to live out what God has given. You know what? You're exactly the same way. But it doesn't stop there, and I'm going to move on. Because we have everything we need. Not only are we set apart, holy, by God. We're a part of His body. We're a part of a local church. Hey, that's all great stuff. But it goes beyond that. Because He has made us and made us and given us everything we need. And it sounds contradictory when you look at the church at Corinth. You go, you know, they were a mess. And I'm saying, he's given them everything they need. Well, that's exactly. In fact, there's, look at verse 4. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which he was given in Christ Jesus. Here's a church that's a mess. And he will spend 16 chapters telling them what a mess they are and how to fix the mess. And he says, I'm thankful. Here's what it comes down to. He was thankful at least that they had trusted Christ. He was thankful that they were a part of the church. And he was thankful that he had a part in being a part of them getting, in that, getting started in that direction. And that's exactly what he is doing. And he says, it's all in grace. Grace is not something you force on someone. Grace is a gift. It is something offered. Does you no good until you take it and make it your own. You say, well, he is, has he given me everything? Yes, he has. He's made it available. But I will tell you that sin and unbelief and a whole lot of disobedience and other things will keep us from putting it into practice. If anything you get from this sermon is this. God has done it all. What have you done with it? 
That's the bottom line of the sermon today. I can be confident in doing whatever God asks me to do because He's already made it available. I was not born with the greatest brain on earth. I know that. My memory is horrible. If you go back and look at my transcripts from college, uh, no, yeah, college and high school, uh, not exactly Mr. Brainiac. Now, I do have some ability with my hands. I've always had that. Don't know where it came from, but I guess I was born with that. I remember Pastor John when he was just my son-in-law. His transmission went out in his truck, and I said, okay, well, we'll take it out. We'll put another one in. We're, we're getting, we're tearing bolts off. He goes, have you ever done a four-wheel drive pickup truck before? Now, all of you know Mr. John Shirey. He is a little skeptical of everything, you know, a little skittish. And he wanted me to say, oh, yeah, I've done many four-wheel drive pickups. I had never done one in my life. I just said, no. And he looked at me like, oh, no. What I, I said, John, I have never done one of these, but I've done lots of transmissions. I've worked on lots of mechanical things. And you know what? All the principles work the same. Do I know every little nuance? No. But I had confidence because I had done something. By the way, I will tell you that one of the ways you will get confidence in Christ is actually use what's available step by step by step by step by step. If you would have told me uh, about 43 years ago when I got saved that I would stand in front of a congregation of people, I would have laughed at you. Not that I wasn't a Christian, but God had already given me everything. I just didn't know it yet. But step by step, I remember. Seriously, I'm, I'm probably going to give you more information than you need. But when I first started teaching, I, it, it rattled me every part. I remember the first time I taught, it was uh, college-age kids. I was a total wreck. And when I was done, I wanted to do it again. Some of you know what that's like. And I can remember when I was a youth leader, Saturday nights, when I was teaching Sunday mornings, I was a mess every Saturday night for years. But I kept going back because I saw that that is what God put in me. And I wanted to use it. When I became a pastor, I decided all the inhibitions stay outside. And when I walk up here... I'm just going to say what God shows me from the Word and what God shows me in my study. I'm going to say it. And let the chips fall where they may. It's not because of me. It's because He's met every need. He's given us everything. And because of that, and Paul knew that, he could say, I'm thankful. In fact, there's verse 5. He says, in everything you were enriched in Him, in speech and all knowledge. One of the things that this book talks about later on, and we'll get to that, is spiritual gifts. And he says, God has given you everything you need. In fact is, I'm going to skip out of 1 Corinthians here for a moment and look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Because it gives us a snapshot of spiritual gifts. And it says there are two, basically two classes of spiritual gifts, but one and Result. First part, each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. God has, if you've trusted Christ, if you haven't trusted Christ, that's where you need to start. But if you've trusted Christ, God has put something in your life that He specifically wants you to use in 
Serving one another. It's not about you. It's never been about you. It's about the other person. And the second thing is, he gives us those two. Whoever speaks, it is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. If you have a speaking gift, a teaching gift, an evangelistic gift, you know what? You're not representing yourself. You represent Him. You're speaking on His behalf. Another place He says, you're, you're my ambassadors. You're my mouthpiece. You're my spokesman. And then again, there are those who say, you would never get me in front of a congregation. In fact, is you won't even get me in front of a small group of people to teach. That is not me. You know what? That's okay. That's okay. Because not everybody has that gift. But here's what it says. The other gifts are serving gifts. And do so who is serving by the strength which, notice the last part, God supplies. You say, oh, well, anybody can go on a mission trip and help build a cabin or put drywall. No, 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 no. You're doing it that way. You're doing it in your own strength and God doesn't get glory. Here's what I do know. Is that if it's a speaking gift or serving gift, both of them are done by God's power. On God's behalf. That's the whole thing. When you think about it, this Christian life, if you want to have confidence, start using what God has given you, and you will realize who you are in Christ because He has already equipped you. Not that you're going to get something new, you're simply going to live out what's already true of you. And notice I didn't say, oh, this is really easy and it's all fun and games and. I didn't say that at all. Because you know what? Obedience, it'll take you places you never thought you would go. And you will do things you never thought you could do. And you will say and deal with things that you never thought you could handle. But he doesn't take you, he takes you one step at a time in that direction. We'll look at this in much detail. But then it goes on to say, and my last point this morning is this is that he is the one that keeps us to the end. Picking it up in verse 6, it says, Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so you are not lacking in any gift, we've already covered that, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless, in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We come together, we say we come together, and one of the things we do is fellowship. Absolutely. But we can't fellowship with each other unless we're first in fellowship with him. And he says, I am going to confirm that to the end. I'm going to keep you to the end. Remember those who are being sanctified? If you've trusted Christ, he's going to continue working on in your life, on your life, with your life. He's going to continue on to the very end. It's not like you get halfway through and he says, you know what, I'm done with you. Because if the Apostle Paul would have believed that after five years and saw where they were at, he would have said, forget it. I'm not, I don't even care about them. They're, they're a pain in the neck. They're a lost cause. And he would have bailed. He said, no, 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 no. I know. I'm confident in what God has given me to do, and I'm also confident that he's working in you. That's what the Word says. 
And so he wants us to continue on. And notice it says that we're awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to end with this. I'm already a minute over time. But when we look at the revelation, it simply means the unveiling. The word is apocalypse. You've heard that word. It's used in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7, that every eye will see him when he comes back. That's true. But this is, and this is what we teach because this is what the Bible teaches, it is one event with two phases. Those two phases are the rapture and the revelation. A number of years ago, uh, Mike Snavely and I and his wife and a couple other people went out to Montana to check out the um, Dinosaur and Fossil Museum as a part of the ministry of uh, Mission Imperative. I never told anybody I'm going to Baltimore Airport. Never told anybody I'm going to Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, Airport. I never told anybody I'm going to Rapid City Airport. I said I'm going to Montana. You know what? But there were those steps along the way. Mike and Carrie come pick me up in their Suburban. We went to, uh, I believe, Baltimore. And then from Baltimore, we went to Minneapolis-St. Paul. And there, the lights were out because the electric was gone. And we rented a car and drove all night to Rapid City and rented another car there and finally got to where we're going. But I never once said, oh, I'm going to Baltimore or I'm going to Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport. It's like, no, I'm going to the end. But there were different steps along the way. And that's simply all this is. A lot of people get uptight about this, but that's all it is. See, at the rapture, and you can look it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he never comes to the earth. He comes into the clouds, and we're caught up. But at the revelation, Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 and other places, he comes down, his feet land and stand on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives splits. Splits so much and changes everything so much that the Dead Sea now has fish in it again. The point is this. Christ is coming back and He says, you won't be without what you need until I come back. I am providing everything the whole way. You can be confident. You see, He that began a good work in you is going to continue it. To the end. You know what? If you leave here today discouraged, I don't know what to do for you. Seriously. I think you need to pray for yourself. But here's what it comes down to. He's done everything. He's called us. He's set us apart. He's provided and He promises not to bail out on us. Paul didn't do that to the Corinthians. I hope you don't do that to other people. But here's what I know, and this is the biggest part of it, is understand what God has given you. You can live the Christian life with confidence. And it's not because you're great. Sorry, I stepped on your toes. You're just like me. You're not all that great. <laughs> you just aren't. But He is. And that's the praise. That's the message. He's provided it all. He's made us holy. And He's going to keep us to the end. Amen? Let's all stand together. Father, what a great God you are. Lord, I'm glad you put the book of 1 Corinthians in our, our Bible. Because, Lord, as we look at that, we can just see that what looks like a mess on the outside is something that you haven't given up on.
And Lord, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody here today that says, my life is such a mess that God has to have given up. Lord, show them you haven't. Lord, there are others who think they're all that and more, and you need to show them they're on the wrong path because only what they do with your power is going to accomplish anything for all eternity. But Lord, most of all, show us all how much you have given us, how you've enriched us so that we can indeed serve you, glorify you, and reach out and minister to those around us using those special gifts that you've given us in a very real way by your power. Lord, thank you so much for challenging and encouraging us this morning and most of all, giving us confidence. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God and be a blessing to someone else.